This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, December 9th, 2019 edition of Invest Talk. And we're only a few weeks away till the end of the year, so a lot to kind of review for the entire year, a lot to discuss for next year, and ways to improve your results. And there's always a lot of variables at play, never more important this week than probably the two biggest variables in the market right now. One is the Federal Reserve, which clearly has been a big factor over the past decade plus, but also now the trade war, uh, important milestone coming up over the weekend on Sunday. And the big question for the markets is where the, will there be one? And that has been front and center pretty much since Trump became uh, or was elected back in 2016. So there's a lot to digest right now. And I want to give you unbiased guidance. That's my goal here each and every weekday, as well as Steve's. I'm Justin Klein. I thank you for joining me today. Hope you will call me with your investing questions. And if you make time to make that call, we can shape this show to your advantage. And we do that with a philosophy every single day of independent thinking and shared success. We try to give you a different perspective than you're probably hearing in the media. Sometimes it's wrong, sometimes it's right, but to us it's fair. And that's what we're, our, our goal here is to give you fair, honest perspective and data and hopefully advice to make better decisions. Now, we're going to do our best to move you along the path of financial freedom, your own particular path. Everyone has their own path. Yours is not the same as your cousins or your brothers or your neighbors or your friend that you play basketball with on the weekends, okay? Yours is different. And you have to find your own path. So that's what we are help you to, helping. We're here to help you do. So you give us a call, 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278 is how you get through and ask your question, either live in the 4 to 5 Pacific time hour or after hours, leave your message and we will answer it on a future show. Now, in case you haven't heard yet, Steve has scheduled two more consultation trips in January. He's going to be in Dallas. He's going to go on a little road trip coming from here in Southern California all the way to Dallas on January 24th. going to spend some time with some family over that weekend and then he's going to go to New York City going to be there on the 28th to 29th, and that will be a Tuesday and Wednesday. And you can sit down with them, have one-on-one face-to-face meetings, conversations about your investment picture and your financial life and financial path. So you can learn more and register at investtalk.com. Just click on the portfolio review page. Now, my main talking point today concerns the prediction that from one market strategist that the U.S.-China trade war is unresolvable. And I'm going to expand on that and not just about the U.S.-China trade war because that's it's too myopic to just focus on the U.S.-China trade war because I think this is a broader trend in trade globally that needs to be discussed, needs to be considered, 
when making your financial decisions, both near-term and especially long-term, because globalization has been going on for a long time. And what I'm going to talk about is deglobalization. So that's our main talking point today, but also, you know, we're near the end of the year. Everyone's looking at the S&P and they're saying, well, the S&P is up X amount or whatever, right? But are you looking at the wrong benchmark? Too many people use that as their benchmark and I think it needs to change. We're going to talk about why. Also, U.S. manufacturers are planning to pull back investments in 2020 and we're going to discuss why that is and what that trend looks like. And then lastly, if we have time, we're going to talk about inherited IRAs. But let's talk quickly about the market. You had a modest down day after a pretty decent rally last week. The technicals are starting to weaken. You know, we've had kind of a flat, choppy market for a couple weeks now. And you've seen some crossovers in the MACD, the PPO, different indicators. And I think this is maybe an f- indicator that this trade war agreement or trade agreement is not going to come to pass by the end of this week, but we'll see what that looks like. But let's go to a live caller at 88.99 chart. Let's go to Robert in Vancouver. And it looks like you're wanting to talk about Washington, D.C. Is that what it is? No, talking about Dominion oh. Energy. Ah, Dominion. D's okay. stock ticker. Got it. Okay. Yes. Uh, this is uh, one of the largest utilities in the world, about $66 billion market cap. And it's had a little bit of a pullback here, right? And are you thinking this might be a buying opportunity? That's what I'm wondering because, you know, it doesn't look like there's going to be any trade agreement. And I mm-hmm. think we're probably going to go into a pullback. And. As far as I know, don't utilities fare really well? We have an overall pullback in the market, and is this a good idea to get into it? Well, utilities tend to do fairly well when interest rates drop. And typically, interest rates do drop when the market gets rough, right? And therefore, this your theory is correct if you get a corresponding drop in interest rates. Now, a lot of these, what I would call bond proxies, you think of utilities, a lot of the large telecom producers that pay a big dividend, uh, REITs, for example, consumer staples, in a lot of ways, they're bond proxies or bond alternatives. And therefore, if interest rates rise, bond prices drop and bond proxies drop and vice versa. And so what you're thinking is rates will drop because of a risk-off sentiment in the market and therefore, there will be a rise in bond proxies like the utility space and Dominion, one of the better ones out there. Uh, we actually own this for managed accounts. Uh, we've, we bought it a while ago, so we're still up even though we had a recent drop, but I like it. I like Dominion Energy. Uh, I'm a fan of it. Yields about 4.6%. And I like what you're, you're looking at here with the recent pullback getting up to that 100-day moving average. And we had a little semi-test of it back in November. So I don't think this this uh, support's going to be quite as strong as I might expect, but I think there is a lot of support around that 78.70 level and a ton of support around 77.50 or so. And right now we're just a, a hair below 80 
So there's still a potential for a little more downside, but I, I think you're pretty close to some pretty good support here, and I wouldn't mind starting a position. So I like what you're looking at. I like Dominion Energy, and I like the fact that you are thinking about bond proxies in a time when maybe the market might give up its highs in reaction to no trade deal. So great call, Robert. I like it. I would add it to my portfolio Why? because we own it for a lot of our managed accounts as well. So thanks for the call, Robert. That was Dominion Energy. Very large company engaged in power generation, electric and gas utility services in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. So I like the name. 8899 chart, 8899 So you get through and ask your question on today's show. And I urge you to call in sooner rather than later. It does go by pretty fast. So give me a call. I want to hear from you at 888 chart. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, where Invest Talk hosts and KPP principals Steve Peasley and Justin Klein practice parallel investing. That means Steve and Justin's accounts participate with Klein investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about parallel investing at investtalk.com. Eight 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 ninety nine chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. Let's go to Michael in Fremont looking at Occidental Petroleum. Yeah, it's at a fifty-two week low or near there. Mm-hmm. Wanted uh, yep. your thoughts on it. Well, this is a name that is down on its luck from a high of about ninety dollars a share back last summer, right? And now we're at thirty-seven dollars a share. And yields about 8.5%. I do think that dividend will eventually be cut because of their excessive debt level. Uh, but I do think their business is fundamentally sound. I mean, revenue declined 5% last quarter, and that was the first decline year over year in a while. So uh, earnings are down three quarters in a row year over year. So that's really what's driving earnings from $5.01 in 08, or sorry, 2018 to $1.80 this year and supposed to make only a dollar next year. So if that's true and they only make a dollar next year, this is you know, a little on the expensive side. But I, I do think this will turn around, but it's a deep value play uh, and it's very high risk. And don't expect that oh. dividend, okay? Uh, don't expect that dividend to be sustained because of that debt level. They will almost assuredly cut that to some degree. Now it might be only cut in half. You still get eight, you know, four and a half percent, four point two percent, something like that, uh, based on current prices. But this is not a name that you should expect to sustain that dividend in the short term. Now, if they can turn their business model around and and right size their uh, their their business correctly, they could maybe resume increasing that dividend in the future. But I think right now it's unlikely they're going to maintain. Uh, maintain that dividend. But from a value perspective, I do like it. Uh, I believe it was just picked up by Warren uh, in in uh, Berkshire, if I'm remembering correctly. So I'm, I'm a fan of it long term, but understand it is very high risk and you probably should have a, a stop on it at some point 
probably around the $35 area. Now we're at $37.34. Thanks for the call, Michael. Now let's take a quick look at some key benchmarks. Oil was at $58.88 a barrel, up a little bit. Oil has been doing pretty decent lately on the fact that there's been lower rig counts. Even though supply is increasing, it's increasing at a much slower pace. So I think that's a big driver of this change and certainly geopolitical problems as well with Aramco and the Middle East, etc. That can be uh, uh, something that keeps oil prices higher than they should be based on supply demand, simply based on geopolitical risks. Two-year treasury yield was at 1.62%, and the 10-year closed today at 1.83%, down a little bit on risk on sentiment. Gold was at 14.67 an ounce, continuation of its consolidation phase since about the September time frame. Bitcoin is at 74.30, still remains relatively weak on a chart perspective. And if I'm picking one or the other, I'm definitely going with gold at these levels. So that was a quick overview of those key benchmarks today. Now let's transition quickly to our main talking point today. And it's about the trade war. And we know we're coming up to this December 15 time frame. Everyone's been talking about it. And there may or may not be a deal. I still don't think there will be. But even if there is, I think it'll be very limited in its scope. Maybe push these potential tariffs off a few months and get our administration and the Chinese administration back to the table once again and kind of drag this out further, just like we've been doing for a year and a half. Okay. But I think this will also be a sell the news type of event. There's been so much bullish sentiment around it. Obviously, the Fed printing money again and buying assets that will liquefy the system as well. But the trade war, I think, is bigger than what the Fed is currently doing. So after the break, though, I'm going to touch on why I think this is the start of something much broader that we need to keep an eye on. Give me a call. I want to hear from you at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. Steve Peasley has added two new portfolio review trips to his schedule. Steve will be in Dallas, Texas on Friday, January 24th, and he'll return to New York City for two days, Tuesday and Wednesday, January 28th and 29th. These are no-cost and no-obligation consultations. Learn more and register now at investtalk.com. And before the break, I touched on the trade war briefly and the fact that we may or may not get a deal. But in the end, that's not going to matter too much in the long term. What's going to matter more is how do trade relations globally evolve over time. Now, a lot of investors, and I would say the market is pricing in, that while there are trade wars between the United States and China and a lot of the world 
right now. You know, Trump just put tariffs on Argentina and Brazil as well. The assumption by many is that we are going to resume globalization. And that will only continue. And I think in some ways that's certainly true. But I think in other ways there's going to be deglobalization. Now I think the first phase of this will likely be switching allegiances. And aligning our trade agreements, trade relations with countries that we're very friendly to. And we don't have a lot of political disagreements with. Now what's that going to do? What are the effects of this? Well, the first effect will be inflation. Now I'm not saying it's going to be running runaway inflation. But if globalization has brought down the rate of inflation for 20, 30, 40 years now and been a headwind to increasing inflation, one of the reasons why the central banks globally cannot get inflation very high because of globalization, then the natural effect of deglobalization will be higher inflation. Because suddenly the production of certain goods are going to need to go away from areas like China and to maybe other Southeastern Asian countries. Some were politically friendly with, others were not, but most have higher labor costs, higher costs of doing business than in China. And China has purposely built their infrastructure and built their economy around this manufacturing business. Most other countries are not as well equipped to do the same volume that China does, the same efficiency. And so that will be the main effect of deglobalization. Some companies will be able to pass along the higher cost of production to their customers, others will have to eat it or eat part of the higher cost and therefore margins will be squeezed as well. You know, corporate margins over the past few years have been near record highs and a lot of that has to do with the free flow of information, the ability to produce in a lot of countries very cheaply. And what are those companies supposed to do? They're going to take the lower cost. And if consumers and other businesses are willing to pay their price, they're going to remain to keep prices steady. They're not going to drop prices just because their cost of production dropped, right? So I think there will be a longer term paradigm shift away from globalization to deglobalization. Not to where everything is going to be produced here in America. And, you know, I, I don't like extremes. One of the big problems in today's world is that everything is extreme. We're either going to have this or we're going to have that. And there's no in-between. I think we're going to find some sound in-between. And I think that's the next phase. And it might, the phase might last 5, 10, 20, 
30 years. And that might be politically stable. But it's something that will drive up inflation and drive down profits to some degree. But it will also mean a more stable supply structure, supply infrastructure, and allow companies to avoid what like the NBA had to deal with, what was that, a month or two ago? So to me, that's the bigger story here. It's not just the U.S.-China trade war. It's about deglobalization longer term. Now let's keep things moving. Each caller question brings in a new learning opportunity. This came earlier at 888.99 chart. Oh, I guess we're not going to go to the caller. We're going to go to a break real quick. Now, in the next Invest Talk, this analyst opinion. Overpriced growth stocks are the market's greatest risk. This is from the chief strategist for Morgan Stanley. He thinks expectations are too high. Steve will cover that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your question at 888-99-CHART. Numbers are elusive. Is it only a maximum of 7,000 total between the two accounts? They're always changing. And shot up to about 380 at one point. I got in about 291. On Talk, the focus is on numbers that affect our listeners. It's about 5% of my overall portfolio. Talk listeners know it's all about the numbers. As far as I remember, you only have 60 days to complete a rollover from a 401k into another retirement vehicle. So the questions keep coming. I've got a question about insider trading. From every part of America. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is G from Philly. 24-7. Hi, this is Jen from Portland, Oregon. Using years of experience, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein analyze the complex patterns in those numbers and do their very best to decipher the potential meanings. Thanks a lot, guys. InvestTalk.com. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hey, fellas. My name is Daniel. I'm from San Gabriel, California. I uh, just discovered your podcast, and I'm binge-watching uh, or binge-listening to all the older episodes. But anyways, I had a quick question for you. When you talk about uh, an investment and you say they made such and such a money this year and they'll make this much next year, how do you know how much they're going to make next year? What does that figure represent? Um, I'm completely new to investing and uh, just starting to learn about it. So, Thanks so much for all you guys do, and I uh, look forward to hearing your answer. Thank you. Well, great question. And the simple answer is that that's what the projections are for the next year. Doesn't mean that's guaranteed. Uh, and oftentimes, most of the time, I would say, the analyst projections for next year tend to be too rosy. And over time, that tends to come down some. Sometimes a lot, sometimes a little, but that just is generally the overall trend of how earnings projections work. And when we talk about them, we're looking at average analyst projections, okay? And we buy data and get data on that. And it's important to see the trend of that as well. Uh, our analysts and 
looking to improve that projection like Occidental, for example. For this year, the analyst guidance for earnings is actually going lower. It's trending lower, whereas for next year, it's trending higher as of right now. Now, once again, as we get further into 2020, those analyst expectations become usually a little more realistic with the help of actual hard data on what's happening with the company. So great question. I love what you're looking at. I'm glad you're new to, the, new to investing and finding interest and hope you find value in our past episodes as well. So thanks for calling. 8899 chart, 8899242278. We have 20 minutes left in the show. So if you're going to call, you want to do it very soon. Now, we're nearing the end of the year, and many of us are taking stock of the economy, of the market, especially your portfolios, and maybe looking at the goals that you had for the year, the accomplishments you had for the year, and making adjustments for next year. And the easiest thing for anyone to do is to look up what the S&P did this year and think that's the benchmark that they should use for their portfolio. And more often than not, that is a poor process. And it gives you unrealistic expectations many times. You know, it's easy to compare these annual returns because they're so easily defined, but it doesn't really hold up well to any level of scrutiny. Now, the first is, it's difficult to beat the market with any strategy when you're not taking the proper risk. So many people take lower risk, even if they're in all equities. So an all equity portfolio isn't necessarily taking the same amount of risk as the overall market. Second, if you diversify among different asset classes, among different market caps, for example, right? how many people have large caps and mid caps and small caps? Most people have a mix. When you're looking at the S&P, you're only looking at large caps. So a long-term investment strategy has a different correlation than the overall market. It's usually not one for one, unless you're just buying an index fund. Then, yes, comparing it to the overall market makes sense, but you're probably going to get that. If you're not, then that index fund is not performing properly. So if you have a long-term investment strategy, your goal is steadier growth over time. And looking at a short-term performance is not the way to make a proper decision about your strategy. And yes, one year is short-term. Even two years, I would say, is short-term. Three to seven is probably medium-term. Anything over seven, I would say, is longer-term. And lastly, the Dow Jones is a measure of 30 stocks, 30 large companies. S&P 500 is 500. So comparing your investment performance to these benchmarks 
is really the wrong answer. Because you have a different mix. It doesn't tell you whether you are on track for your financial goals. So the best benchmark is your own personal financial plan. Are you on track for that? Whether you make 14% next year or 11% next year, is that inching you towards your, your goal? Now, if you're in the accumulation phase where you're saving money and investing it, guess what? A long-term plan, a long-term investment strategy allows for losing money. And that means that you cannot expect to make money every single year. Some years you're going to lose money. So whether you're not whether or not you're on track isn't determined by your returns in any one particular year. Now if you're in the withdrawal phase, the retirement phase, you're more worried about keeping up with inflation, maintaining most of your principal. So you need to get income as well as some growth to keep up with inflation. Not whether you make 18% or 9%, it's about slow and steady and relatively safe. The bottom line is short-term market performance is really a red herring that can trip you up. Because a lot of people in, t- t- in, month- in uh, years like this might have made 12%. And that seems pretty good in any normal year. But when the market's up 20, you think you are in a bad strategy. But if it's a strategy that has lower risk level, lower volatility, that 12% can be outstanding. So to truly judge your success of your investment strategy, you need to first be clear about whatever goals that you might have and make sure that performance is simply in line with those goals. I'm Justin Klein. You're listening to Invest Talk. And as you make your investment choices, there will always be a bit of fear, angry that creeps into your judgment process like we just talked about. And fear comes from the perception of risk. Usually you don't feel that risk until the market actually goes down or you see volatility. So my advice for dealing with this is to understand your comfort zone and invest accordingly. That's why we have our free online invest talk riskalyze questionnaire. So you can go there. It's free. You can check it out and calibrate your risk tolerance. And now I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 chart Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial. Invest Talk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are the principals of KPP Financial and they are independent financial advisors. This means they place their clients' interests ahead of the firm's. As part of that commitment, KPP Financial practices parallel investing, where Steve and Justin's accounts participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about Parallel Investing and the other KPP Financial programs at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open. Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call now, 888-99-CHART. Hi, I have a question about shorting a stock. 
say a stock is trading at $10 a share and you short it and it and they file for bankruptcy a few weeks later and the share price goes down to zero. I believe you have to buy the stock back at some point, but if it goes to zero, do you lose all your money? Just was curious how that how that works. Thank you. Bye bye. Uh, no, you don't. You actually make a ton of money. You buy it back for next to nothing. That's why often those bankrupt companies you'll see still trading for something because the shorts still have to buy in. There might be some speculators that equity holders will get some value in bankruptcy. That can happen as well. And if you wait long enough, that company will get delisted. Uh, your broker, you'll buy you know, you'll buy it back from your broker for a penny, uh, and everything's good, and you. Profited a million percent, how whatever, however you want to calculate that return on your investment, uh, if that was the case. So no, you, the best thing that could happen, basically, when you're shorting a stock, is for the company to file bankruptcy because then the equity is worthless when you had sold it for a much higher price. So uh, no, the exact opposite true. The, the creme de la creme of shorting is a bankruptcy filing. Thanks for the call. Great question. Now I think I can squeeze another caller question in that came in earlier at 888-99 chart. Hey about Justin real estate and, and Steve, stocks. this is Keith from Redondo Beach here. I got a question for you on when to shift investments between say stocks and real estate. And I'm talking actual physical real estate here. Is there a ratio or other indicator that you would look at to say, hey, now it's time to pull money out of real estate and put it in stocks? or the other way around. I guess you could use a REIT to some other stock index to do that, but I'm wondering if there is some simpler or more basic or fundamental way. Anyway, thanks a lot for your help. I'll listen for your answer on the show. Bye-bye. All right, actually, I think we answered this question on Thursday. So uh, for anybody that wants to hear that answer, why don't we uh, just defer to that uh, show on Thursday? Sorry about that. 8899 chart, 8892 4278. We have uh, about 10 minutes left in the show. So if you're going to call, you want to do it right now. Let's check in, check in on the manufacturing sector. This was a report that came out today, and it was by the Inst Institute of Supply Management. It was a survey. And factory executives forecast capital expenditures will decrease 2.1% next year. When I say capital expenditures, you know, that's maintaining the health of their plants uh, and in re re basically reinvesting uh, in their business. And that's going to go down about 2.1% next year on average. And this is going to be the first annual decline in capital expenditures in 11 years. Now, this compares to a reported increase of 6.4% this year. So that could be a big issue. You know, a lot of people think stocks are about B to C businesses, right? Meaning businesses selling to the consumer. But most business that happens ha actually is between B to B, business to business, right? Where maybe... A company that has plants needs to buy machines, needs to buy motors, needs to buy parts 
to maintain and upgrade and improve their plants. And this is really what that's talking about. Now, on the non-manufacturing side, firms expect a 1.3% rise next year. I'm talking about you know, restaurants that are making upgrades to their facilities, maybe renovating, for example. Maybe they're expanding service offerings, right? That's supposed to go up 1.3% next year, but that's also a slower increase than this year of 2%. Now, what's causing it? The first is domestic economic conditions. That's the main reason that they're citing, anyway. Only 3% are actually blaming tariffs. That was really interesting. Everyone's saying the slowdown has to do with tariffs. Not really. Only 3% of companies are even talking about it. Now, 44% cited unspecified factors. Obviously, vary depending on industry, but it's very interesting to see this trend that despite an expected actual rebound in manufacturing activity in the first half of next year, businesses are not planning to back that up with corresponding investment in their own business. So, I really think this is that this expectation of a rebound in the ISM reports and the manufacturing activity globally and here in the United States is a little misguided. Now, there's been a bounce, and I think that will continue to some degree, but unless businesses are putting their money where their mouth is, this deceleration, this tepid growth will continue. And I thought that was a pretty interesting report that not a lot of the media was talking about. It wasn't really in the news for me today, and I thought it was interesting to bring to light to you guys. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here. That's to help you achieve your own particular version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this break, so get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. On the next Invest Talk, this opinion overpriced growth stocks are the market's greatest risk. So, are expectations too high and overpriced? That story tomorrow. But now, Justin Klein is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. Call Justin, 888 99 Chart. Hello, Steve. Justin, this is Jason calling from Jacksonville, Florida. Wanted to get your thoughts on Ulta Beauty, U L. T-A. Seems like a very strong company, has a very strong chart up and seems to have taken somewhat of a beating this year. I'm not really sure why or what news might have caused that, but it seems to have put in a bottom. Just wondering if this is a good stock to start accumulating over the short term and then hold with about a 10, maybe even 15 year time horizon. So want to get your long term thoughts on this one. Thank you so much for everything you do. Have a great holiday. Uh, this is Ulta Beauty, about a $14 billion market cap. And he's right, it has had a pretty decent setback, about 31.5% below its 52-week high, which was $368 a share in earlier this year. And growth is slowing. 
and this is the biggest problem here, is that revenue was only up 8% and earnings only up 3% last quarter, whereas you know, a year and a half ago, revenues were up in the mid to high teens and earnings were up in the low 30% range. So when you have a growth name still growing, but growing at a slower rate, you're going to get a revaluation and that's what you're seeing here. It's still not a cheap name, I'll, I'll say that. Enterprise value to EBITDA is about 12 and a half. Not super expensive, but not super cheap, kind of around where the market tends to trade overall. But for everybody else, if you don't know what Ulta does, they operate 1,174 beauty stores in 50 states, offering hair care, cosmetics, and salon services. I've been to a few of these because my girlfriend loves Ulta, so I definitely know a lot about the name. Uh, and it's uh, an area that, you know, they carry Kylie Jenner uh, cosmetics and, you know, they carry all the big brands. And they've been growing rapidly with footprint, et cetera, and opening new stores year after year. And it's a business with consistent profitability. Their net margins tend to trend around 7 to about almost 10% last year. So they've been able to increase their margins while increasing growth, which is really, really interesting. Obviously, that's uh, operating leverage there that has definitely worked out for them. But that's started to plateau here a little bit. Return on equity is now about 37%. Still very, very strong. They're, uh, they don't have a ton of debt. I like that. Their free cash flow is very strong. So long term, I like the business. I really do like the business. Now, is it cheap enough for me yet? You know, I don't know that yet. I don't think it's quite cheap enough, but it's certainly much cheaper than it was just a few months ago, now down 30%. Um, so it is at support technically on a, on a monthly chart, but it is trending bearishly. And that's what worries me the most is that in the medium term, I think this could eventually break down below kind of the 220 range is where there's major support. And if it does, then it's likely to head to the next support level around 188, 190. And that would be a fantastic area to pick it up. Right now it's at 252. So long term, I think you'll still do well in this name if you pick it up here. But expect volatility as the trend of growth starts to maybe stabilize. I think there's probably a worry that this slowdown in growth might turn to shrinkage. And if that's the case, this will definitely will go much, much lower. But if we can stabilize growth here, you know, in the mid to high single digits, I think the stock stabilizes and it'll be a great investment. But I like it here, but I love it at 180. Now let's keep the momentum going. Here comes a caller question about Disney that came in earlier. Hi, this is Raphael from Pittsburgh. Just wondering, real quick, simple one. When's a good time to buy Disney? Thanks. Disney. Disney is one of the bluest of blue chip stocks that you can buy out there. Right? And there's a lot of bullish sentiment recently around Disney Plus. And I think Disney Plus will have a strong foot in the game for many, many years to come when it comes to streaming. Uh, but their business is not doing fantastic right now. Revenues are up, but earnings are down. That's a little bit of an issue, even though they're expected to bounce back next year. Yields 1.2%. But let me bring up some... Oh, it looks like we're running out of time. But 
If I'm going to say where I'd pick up Disney, I think this needs to come back in around the 120 level, and that's where I would love to pick it up. I think the optimism around Disney Plus has made this a little bit overvalued and needs to come back in. So 120 is my number on Disney. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley returns tomorrow, and I'll be hosting again on Thursday. But please remember that you can access our free Invest Talk podcast downloads at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Be sure to listen, rate, and review. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART.